Before we begin today's story, I want to take a moment to talk about how you can support this show and the work being done with the project. Everything I do is in joyful service of the same goal, to help people connect with their shared lived experiences so that we may heal together from the inside out. Asking for money, or any help for that matter, is not something that comes naturally to me, especially when I have a paying job and people naturally might assume that I can keep up with the pace. So instead of burning myself out, I'm practicing what I preach and asking for the support I need to keep going. In order to justify the time it takes to write and produce this podcast and its accompanying newsletter, I'm asking for your support. Your subscription for $5 a month, and that's it, makes it all possible. If you're a free subscriber, you get my weekly story project newsletter and my What's Your Story podcast episodes for free delivered right to your inbox without doing anything at all. And it's important to me that everyone who wants access to my content can get it, regardless of their means. But if you're looking for something specific, more personal and connected, then upgrading your subscription for $5 a month is the way to do it. You get everything that I've already listed above, plus an added new layer of interactive features beyond the typical podcast offerings of ad-free listening, such as full access to my regular subscriber Q&As, where each week I answer a handful of reader questions about mental and physical health, as well as share some of the deeper details from the stories you hear right here on the podcast. You get periodic Google Meet Hangouts with me, bonus episodes of this podcast, and the ability to pitch stories and or ideas for the newsletter. Not to mention access to my full archive of content and other fun extras like live chat sessions and more. Buckle up, because becoming a paid member of this newsletter and its accompanying podcast is now the best way to support my content and to become a more active part of the storyteller community. And even without using any of the new features I listed, becoming a paid subscriber means that you're committing to helping me grow this platform and share stories in order to bring people closer together and collectively heal from whatever troubles us. Today's episode is going to touch on a topic that is both profound and heart-wrenching, grief. Specifically, the unique and poignant grief that comes with losing a child at birth. So it's just a quick heads up. This episode is going to contain some heavy topics about that. So listener discretion is truly advised. I know that delving into such a heavy subject can be daunting, but it's essential to create a space where we can openly discuss the raw and complex emotions that accompany loss. So today, we're not just exploring grief, we're navigating the labyrinth of emotions that arise when a parent faces the unimaginable, the loss of a child before they even have had a chance to fully experience life. And as a holistic health coach and parent myself, as well as a firm believer in the power of storytelling, I'm deeply committed to fostering conversations that lead to understanding, empathy, and ultimately healing. In this episode, we'll hear a story of resilience, the strength it takes to carry on, and the power of community in the face of such profound sorrow. We'll be joined by an incredible storyteller who has walked this path, sharing their story not just as a means of catharsis, but as a beacon of hope for others who may be navigating their own journey through grief. Together, we'll explore the various facets of healing, the importance of acknowledging pain and finding solace in the memories of our little ones who left us too soon. Katie's daughter died when she was just 12 hours old in April of 2021. 
she was a perfectly healthy, beautiful baby. She died due to failings in healthcare services. Katie's mental health was severely impacted with grief and PTSD after a traumatic birth, which impacted the pregnancy with her son significantly. And she now works hard to help support others through child and baby loss, sharing her grief story to help others know they're not alone. Now, before we dive into this emotionally charged conversation, let's take a moment to express gratitude for the precious gift of life, even if it's most fleeting forms. Remember, you're not alone. In sharing these stories, I hope to create a space where healing can begin and where love and compassion can light the way. And so I'm honored to have you with me as we explore the depths of grief, the strength to endure, and the power of telling our stories. So from Fragile Moments and Not Today Media, I'm your host, JD, and this is story number 49 of the What's Your Story podcast. Gone too soon. Uh, my name is Katie and I'm from the United Kingdom. I am from, I say I'm from um, a county called Shropshire. I kind of have lived all over the UK, so I'm a bit of a nomad, but this is where uh, my home is and this is where I've settled. So I am the founder of A Perfect Poppy. I'm the founder of Strong and Brave website and I also have a podcast called Strong Tea, um, which is talking all about uh, taboo topics, things that people stick their head in the sand over. And it's kind of how I came across your podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, I kind of got in touch with you. Um, well, we, we had a bit of a, an initial chat um, just about things that were important, sharing um, and mental health. And I have a quite a traumatic story, um, which... I have found not only helps me to talk about because it helps me process what happened, but I have found that it has resonated with an awful lot of people and the social media platforms that I have and the websites that I've built. Um, I find that a lot of people reach out through those and say, you know, no one's, no one's talking to me because this happened and I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. I don't know how to help myself. And I think that's really sad because I think this happens to an awful lot of people. And strange too, right? Because I mean, how many different topics and you haven't even you know shared yet what you know what you're exactly talking about? But I, you, know, you can insert the same phrase here. How many things can you search and look for and find, and still and here you are, you know, saying that that right there that you still feel alone and lost and not sure where to turn to, right? I mean, it speaks volumes mm-hmm. to, I to think, what the world needs, right? Yeah, and I think unfortunately, uh, grief, which is part of major part of my story is so unique for so many different people um, and everyone suffers it differently. Myself and my husband both suffered grief, but we both suffered it very differently. Same with my family, my friends, you know, it, it's a very difficult path to travel and it was trying to find people. I know in the early days I was desperate to try and find someone that my story resonated with. So I could say, Oh my God, this is, help me and now I try and be that person um 
so my story starts in uh, 2020 um, when um, my husband and I first started trying for a baby. And um, it took us a little while longer than expected, um, only because I got diagnosed later with um, polycystic ovaries. So I struggled to conceive initially, but uh, once we had some help from a fertility specialist, um, it was all guns blazing and I was pregnant. And it was amazing because I hadn't expected it to happen so quickly after the treatment. And it was a really joyful time. Um, yeah. I look back now and it was incredibly naive to be that, you know, excited. But I still think that's the way that pregnancy should be. Sure. And I think a lot of people don't get that. So I I was very, very excited. I promised myself I wouldn't buy any baby clothes. And then I bought loads. <laughs> I bought loads before we found out we were having a girl. And then on the 20 week scan, we found out we were having a little girl. <laughs> so um, I had, I still had a Chewbacca onesie that I had bought for her. And I was like, nice. no, I'm still going to put her in that. Um, and so it was amazing. And I had what everyone called a textbook pregnancy. Um, there were no concerns along the way. Um, nothing was ever flagged up to me that there was any issues. And so I kind of just went on my merry way thinking everything's going to be great. Naively, everything's going to be perfect. And in April 2021, um, we went into hospital. I was um, a week and six days overdue. And I don't know how... You guys do things over there because I know you don't have a national health service, so to speak, which we do. Um, but the thing is over here, if you go over 40 weeks, yes. they kind of like you to be induced yep. because yep. they they sort of say, you know, it's, it's healthier. To... Yeah. So I was 41 plus six and I didn't want to be induced because I was of the mind that as soon as you start forcing something. Yeah that's that's not your body doing it naturally um, I, I'm, I'm smiling here because i had no idea anything about this conversation at you know at all you know when we when we first had our son but those are the almost the exact words um, mm -hmm. from my wife that didn't want to go that route understood you know, yeah. the medical side of it um and you know the need that you know like that's it's it's beyond what what they are saying is you know normal yeah um but the other side of it is right that you're safe inside mom. Right. And yeah. you don't want to force anything. It's not what nature is telling you. Um, so yeah, yeah. no, it's very, yeah. very similar actually. <laughs> I mean, it, it makes a lot of sense why they do it. Um, but there's a lot of box ticking exercises to be done mm -hmm. with the medical services over here. And, you know, they sort of seeing you as on the page. Oh my goodness. She's almost yeah. two weeks overdue. We need to do something. Yeah. So we had a long conversation with the hospital and I wanted a water birth and, uh, I, they said, yes, okay, we can induce you, but we can induce you with a certain way that will still allow you to have a water birth because some inductions, they don't allow that. Mm -hmm. So it was all discussed and it was all planned. And I was to go in the following day for an induction. And I was so excited. Like my yeah. husband and I had like, prepped the whole house we'd got all the changing mats out and everything so we were like it's happening this podcast is humbly sponsored by BetterHelp. as a holistic health coach turned mental health advocate i know the importance of finding the right support why because i've been battling anxiety and depression for over 10 years and i know i'm not the only one who struggles with their mental health if you think you might be feeling depressed stressed anxious or overwhelmed BetterHelp is here to help you. BetterHelp offers licensed therapists who are trained to listen 
Talk to your therapist in a private, online environment at your convenience. All you do is just fill out a questionnaire to help assess your specific needs, and then you're matched with the therapist in under 48 hours. I say this all not as someone telling you to simply click on another sponsor, but as someone who's been seeing a better health therapist for the past year. I've never felt more valued, respected, and full of hope for my mental clarity than I do with each passing session with my therapist. Join the 3 million plus people, that plus being me, who have taken charge of their mental health when experience better health therapists. As a special bonus offer to listeners, you get 10% off your first month of professional therapy at betterhelp.com slash fragile moments. That's betterhelp.com slash fragile moments. Remember, just because you need help doesn't mean you're not worth helping. Um, we ended up going into hospital and um, I was induced and a lot of people say that when you're induced nothing happens for ages and you know it takes a long time Um, but they gave me prostaglandin gel which is a gel that goes inside you which forces the stimulation to create the contractions and I went into what's called hyperstimulation so I went into labour quite quickly um, I was transferred the next couple of hours kind of went through in a bit of a daze because yeah, I, I, I didn't really have any concept of time it was just incredibly painful and I kept being sick with, with the pain and I didn't really know what was happening my husband was sat there with his watch and watching and he's sort of saying yeah, you know this is happening do, right? this is happening every so many minutes and I'm like I don't care give me the gas and air yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that was kind of up until about midnight and Mm. then they said right we think you're ready to give birth now so we think you're dilated enough so we're going to send you upstairs to the labor ward um and unfortunately the key term there was we think yeah and there were uh and i won't go into a huge amount of detail but there were a lot of failings um with the medical um service that i was given um, and as a result of that, we went up and I was in the birthing pool and they expected things to happen very, very quickly and they didn't. And it wasn't until they brought in a specialist and I was examined and they said, right, we need to get you down to theatre straight away. Um, and I was like, OK. Well, and the yeah, only question that. I asked was, can my husband come? And they said yes. So they gave him some scrubs. And the next thing, I'm in theatre and they said your husband can't be here because I said where where is he they said he can't be here because we now need to do an emergency c-section and get your baby out right now that was the first yeah kind of glimpse that I had any indication that something might be wrong but by that point they were forcing and I mean forcing a a mask onto my face to make me breathe the gas in so that I would go to sleep um I I uh, this this part of what happened to me was extremely traumatic and I still sure. have this in a little box which I choose at the moment not to deal with because I find it too much yeah. um, so I woke up several hours later I asked where my baby was and the person who was in charge just said we'll get someone for you now that's all they said and they left me on my own for must have been 10, 15 minutes. Um, 
my husband turned up um, and I said, what's going on? Where is she? And he said, I don't know, but they had some problems in theatre, but they told me that she left and she was okay. So I was like, all right, okay, fine. So there's all this shock of coming around of where is she, what's happening? What's going on? No, no indication. Anyway, the next thing we know, we were being told by a neonatologist um, that our daughter was gravely ill and that if she did survive, she would have almost no quality of life. And going from, you know, everything's perfect, your baby's going to be born in a minute, to your child's going to die which is yeah. essentially what they were saying. Um, I don't I don't even think at that point it went in. The shock sure. was uh, too much. And I, I just said, oh, I want to see her. Um, and that was that was really difficult. Seeing her in the um, in the NICU unit was very, very tough. Um, and they kind of talked about um something called cold mat treatment which is when your child is born and they have to resuscitate um they can put them on this cold mat which will help stimulate brain brain um, activity and it helps sort of rejuvenate the cells that might have been damaged due to the lack of oxygen there was the talk of this and so at that point i was thinking there's still hope i still hope she's going to be okay this this is going to be fine so i was clinging to that and I mean, they they called for a second opinion. They got another specialist in to like ask, and he said that I'm afraid there is no point. And also, that's difficult to hear because you're just like, that's my child. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um. And from there, it just went from bad to worse. She got more poorly, and they sort of said, "You're going to need to say your goodbyes." And I remember I remember phoning my sister and my my sister and I aren't particularly we don't have a particularly close relationship we don't talk to each other all the time but I was like I just need to speak to her and it was just that one person that I was like I need to speak to her yeah and I just because I just couldn't process what was happening and I was like I, I don't I don't know why this is happening I don't know what you know why is this happening what's going on yeah you know and it was just this constant spiral of I don't know what's happening. Why is it happening? I don't know what's happening. Why is it happening? You know, and it, it just, nothing would sink in. And, um, my family, my mum and dad and my mother-in-law came into the hospital and they got to meet her. And then they basically said, we have to take all the wires out and you'll be able to hold her. And that was it. And she passed away in my arms. Um, and she was 12 hours old. And the, I just, the impact, I mean, they gave me so much morphine because I was post-C-section Yeah. that I think they probably gave me more than I maybe would have had. Um, and then they gave me a, you know, where they link you up and you have a little button and you can just keep, I just kept pressing it because I was it. just like, I can't, I, I don't. I don't, I don't feel. I don't want to do this. Yeah. And it was just horrendous. It was the worst and will remain the worst moment of my entire life. I, mm. mean, I, I don't even, I mean, you can't even, there's nothing you could say. 
you know, to help people even like picture, I imagine that unless you, like you said, I mean, unless you've experienced that too, you know, like you can only just kind of feel that like, this is what's supposed to, how hard that's supposed to feel. And that doesn't even come close, um, you know, to how you feel. But so then how does that, cause here you talk about, you know, I mean, you, 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 you had a child, uh, you mm-hmm. know, and you still have to deal with, you know, what comes after having a child, you know, regardless of, you know, the outcome, how does that now impact going, you know, start, you know, that part of the story now, you know, moving forward. I mean, I hate even saying it like that, but, you know, going to the next day, what, what does that look like as far as, you know, we talk about, um, postpartum depression and all that kind of stuff. How does that, how did that start, you know, coming into play versus, you know, having, getting to go home? you know, with a child yeah. and, and dealing with the grief that way and, and depression yeah. that comes along with afterbirth, right? Yeah, I think um, I, I the shock of it yeah. was still, I mean, it lasted probably for about three or four days. I was just yeah. in a daze. And um, the hospital wanted me to stay in longer. And I was kind of... It's a really weird sensation because I didn't want to be there because I was like, my child died here and people are responsible Um, versus I don't want to leave her, you know, because she'll be here on her own. And that was a, even though she wasn't living anymore, I didn't want to leave her on her own because she was a baby. Um, But my husband and I were like, no, we think actually going home, being around family, being in our own bed would probably help. Yeah. So we left um, and we came home and my parents and my mother-in-law had basically gone through the house like a tornado and just taken everything that we had gotten ready, put it in the nursery and just shut the door. And I remember my husband drove the car back because I couldn't drive. Um, And he had to help me into the house not only because of the pain, but just the sort of physical, sure. the, the the shock and the grief. I just felt like I was carrying so much. Yeah. And I sort of limped into the house. And I remember just sitting down at the dining table and just staring. And, my, and, my, and our family didn't know what to do. You know, they were like, do you want a cup of tea? Do you, yes, very British, yeah. isn't it? To ask if you want a cup of tea. <laughs> um, you know, do you want any food? Do you want it? And I just kept saying, I yeah. just, I just want Poppy. I just want my baby. Yeah. And of course, no one can do anything for that because you just, yeah. you know, and the physical recovery that comes with that is obviously much quicker than the mental recovery. But I remember the next morning, I got in the shower and I just could not stop crying. Yeah. My husband actually got in to the shower with me and just held me and I just sobbed and sobbed and sobbed and it was I mean, it was the biggest relief release but it didn't actually it didn't make me feel any better it which whereas anything. now yeah. when I cry it's kind of a release and I feel a bit better yeah. but at the time it was just so painful and I kind of felt like um it, it's so weird your brain does the weirdest things when you grieve because you just find yourself starting to almost like a make a deal with the devil like i'll do anything i will give you my soul if you just turn back the clock just 12 hours just 24 hours please just i will make different decisions i will do different things you know and and just nothing works and that went on 
um, for for weeks. The whole what if, what if I'd just done this? What if we hadn't yeah. been induced? What if we'd gone in on a different day to be induced? Um, and I tortured myself. And then came the guilt. Then was you know what was it my fault? Did I do something wrong? Did I should I have picked up the signs? Should I have you know noticed something was happening? And yeah. this was just so much to deal with that I was just like, I can't, I can't do this. I can't. Yeah. And I, I could not see a way forward. It just felt dark. Everything felt incredibly dark. And I, I've spoken to people through my website who sadly have not, um, not continued that fight and taken their own lives being in the same situation because they, it's it has been too dark for them and i think yeah. had i not had the love around me that i did and the fact that i didn't want to put my family and my husband through anything else else there were mornings that i would wake up and i would think it would just be easier if i just didn't wake up it wasn't like i'm going to do anything or i don't want to be here it was uh, it would just be off. so much easier you know yeah. because it was it it was so hard and Every time I spoke to the doctors, they said, oh, we'll put you on antidepressants. That was their answer. And I was like, no, because if you drug me up now, I'm just going to have to deal with it in six months or a year, you know. And I was very much, I need to deal with this now. That's the sort of person I am. (laughs) And my my husband is as well. And we ended up going to a therapy session about three weeks after Never, never been to therapy with my husband before or anything like that. So we were sat in this room together, and this therapist must have thought, "What's going on? With what them? the hell are these guys doing?" You know, yeah. she, she was just like, "It's far too soon." I'm like, "Well, who are you to say it's too soon? Yeah. You don't know." Uh, yeah. But yeah, it obviously was too soon. But um, the only thing I did was I took um, sleeping tablets to help me get through a couple of the nights, which nice. I found difficult. But I didn't stick with them, um, and. Then it just kind of became the long road to, right, well, what do you do from here? Yeah. Where do you where do you go? Because you've kind of, you haven't just lost a child and a person that you love. You've lost all that hope that you had for the future. You know, that nine months of pregnancy being, thinking, oh, Planning. I wonder what they're going to be like. I wonder when yeah. their first smile is going to be, when they're going to do this, what are they going to be? You know, all that's gone. And you essentially wipe the slate clean and... You know, You're a friend. To move forward, yeah. yeah, and a friend of mine who lost her daughter um, within a couple of weeks. I met her through a grief group, and she said, "On this is the stark reality of it. On paper, nothing's changed. I didn't have a child, and I still don't have a child." Yeah. And that's hard because you're not losing yes. someone that you've had in your life for ages. You don't have the memories. You just have everything that you would have had, and that's that sucks. That, yeah. But at the same time, it's like one of those, that truly is one of those, uh, you know, hard truths. And, you know, that people hear and go, well, that was cruel to say. And it may not have been the right time to hear it or the right, you know, maybe it wasn't presented in a, you know, compassionate way. But it is, unfortunately, like, you know, kind of, you know, supportive as well to kind of get your, your you know, your brain to kind of like, oh, okay. Um, mm-hmm. All right, what to do. But that might be the one thing, though, that everybody's you know process of grief obviously is unique and different and sure we've got the stages that we all go through in some some shape or form and pattern but i think 
from my experience, the one thing you said that is universal to everybody is the, the difficult part being that everybody else's life went forward and mm -hmm. the world around you moves forward. And, you know, you look at people and you don't even know walking on the street going like, how can you not, how can you not be upset for me, you know, for yeah. what happened? And they don't even know you. They're not even talking to you. They're just walking near you. Yeah. Because your time is stopped and you know, you're, you're, you're still in that dark spot, as you said, and trying to process everything. Yeah. And it almost makes people, you know, more depressed, more angry. Yeah. You know, whatever the case, whatever, you know, strong emotion is popping out because they don't understand like, how can you move forward? I'm not, you know, this happened yeah. to me and that can be hard to, yeah. to overcome. Yeah. yeah. I think about, I think it was about four, four weeks later, yeah. um, my mum and dad said, you know, do you want to go out for, you know, a bit of a bit of a drive, you know, and we have a store over here called B and Q, which I think is like your Home Depot type thingy. Okay. Um, so all your... I appreciate all these translations along the way. I think <laughs> I'm about to cut this out, but I think my favorite one so far, is, and I knew what it was, but it, for a second there, I was like, wait, theater? What is she talking about? Why did she go to the movies? Oh, right. Oh, yeah, right. yeah, got it, yeah. got it. Do you guys not say that? Yeah, no. Yeah, right. No, thank you. I appreciate that one too. I would have just kept going and be like, wherever she's going, I, I'll figure yeah. out the store name. Got well, it. it's, it's kind of like a DIY store. And gotcha. um, our garden was in the process of being landscaped. And it, it started, ironically, the work started the day we came home from hospital. And I was just like, I don't want to deal with any of this. I just on, like, yeah. why is this happening? I don't, why are we even, what's the point? That was yeah. the whole thing. What is the point? A moment, I said, "Well, why don't we go to B and Q and just, you know, have a walk around and see if we can get some paint to paint the fence?" I was like, "Yeah, right." And I went, and I just got really annoyed because I was just like, "Who's people shopping for paint and light bulbs and yeah. pointless crap that you're just yeah. like?" You're worried about the finish on your floor, and I yeah. lost a child, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and the frustration huh? it really hit me, and I, um, I'd asked someone for some help, and. He obviously gave me an answer I didn't like, and I snapped at him. And I, I came away from there, and my mum had apologised on my behalf, and I was just like, "Don't apologise for me." Uh, <laughs> but then I was just like, "Yeah, okay, it's not his fault." But it's not his fault, it yeah. was it, the frustration of uh, people, people not knowing yeah. and how they react, but also the people that did know. And bear in mind, I had yeah. done what thousands, millions of people do. I had announced my pregnancy on social media. And so many people were like, oh my goodness, have you had the baby yet? And I was just like, there's only one way to deal with this. I have to put a post up. Because I didn't want to deal with everyone on a one-to-one -one basis. Yeah. It was just like, I have to just... So I put a post up. Um, and I, I didn't talk about everything that had happened it was just yeah. a very simple you know our darling daughter was born this morning and she gained her wings this afternoon there were complications during pregnancy etc cetera, etc cetera. and some people who I expected to step up and be there weren't right. and there were people who I hadn't spoken to you know what Facebook is like and social media. You just like, you've got people on there from like decades ago that you yeah. don't speak to, you know, and some people were just amazing people that just came out of the woodwork and were yeah. like, Oh, you know, I'm so sorry if I can do anything. And the number of people 
as well that said, oh, something similar happened to us. It's not the same, but, you know, we had a very late miscarriage or we had a stillbirth or we had this or we had that. And all of a sudden, this whole world is opened to you. You're just like, oh, my God, you know, this child loss affects so many people. And it's something just no one's talking about. Yeah. It, which, there's, there's the definition of when you you hear that cliche saying you're not alone. There's what it means that people come out and show you that you know. Mm. Uh, I, I mean, it's a beautiful thing. It's an unfortunate mm. way that it comes to be, but I think we missed that. That there's a there's a meaning behind those phrases, you know, that just becomes so watered down. But that's what it means. Is not not necessarily the friend or family member that you expected. It's the people that. We're in hiding too, waiting for, you know, that moment, whatever you want to call it, um, Mm -hmm. to be able to to say, hey, like, I'm right next to you. I don't know you, um, but I know your story to some degree. Yeah. And this is one of the reasons I reached out on the grief groups. I found um, over here we have a a group that's a charity called Tommy's, which is a child loss charity. Um, And it supports parents, miscarriage, stillbirth, neonatal death. And um, they have a Facebook uh, support group. And I met two incredible girls on there who had both been through. Similar. So same, same but different. You know, yeah. we'd, we'd all lost our daughters within weeks of each other, um, but yeah. under very different circumstances. And whilst I said right at the start of this that my myself and my husband were both grieving for our daughter, but I needed to speak to another mother I needed to speak to someone that had carried a child for nine months and then not taken it home, Mm -hmm. you know, and I met these two girls and one's in Berlin and one's in London. And it's the sort of people that you probably wouldn't even look at twice in the street. You wouldn't have a connection with if it weren't for them. And all of a sudden we were talking about the worst thing in the world happened to us. And it became this support group that just the three of us that on a day-to-day basis we were messaging each other saying oh my god you'll never guess what someone said to me today (laughs) or why are people so stupid or you know and it became this ranting uh monologue (laughs) that that was really supportive because actually you needed to hear that other people thought the same way that you did and you weren't just going crazy and you weren't just annoyed for no reason but it 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 helped so much and so many yeah. so many people don't find that and i think that's what people and i'm going to say ordinary people that you know in the sense of like you know haven't experienced that like i think almost like that's what like you know you need to hear uh, you know because you know the person that just you know asked if you wanted a cup of tea um or the friend that saw the post and didn't say anything that's why you know, because you're not sure where the line is. Like, can I yeah. still say the things I did before this? Is that going to trigger something? And it's okay if it does. You know, you learn mm-hmm. that, oh, okay. Um, I can't say that right now. That's too sensitive. Or I can't, you know, act, you know, but we don't want to even come close to that line. So I think, you know, finding somebody and having those conversations, at least for yourself, then kind of trickles effect, you know, outward that, yeah, oh, you can still go through something traumatic for you, Mm -hmm. you know, and whatever degree that means, you know, you plug in that definition and still, you know, be yourself. You just have to be aware that, you know, for that person that you're, you know, talking to, Mm -hmm. that's, that's there, 
and you don't know how that's going to, they don't know how it's yeah. going to come out, you know, they don't know what's going to do. So just kind of be patient yeah. and, and, you know, I think, graceful. I think the hardest thing though is when people don't say anything at all. And I understand why people don't, but it's yeah. like people running for the hills. And I put a post out six weeks after just saying thank you for all the support, you know. And like our house yeah. looked like some sort of garden show. Um, there were flowers everywhere. Yeah. We had so many incredible cards. And it was amazing to see people reach out. And so I wanted to thank people. Yeah. Um, and I put this post out and... I had probably about 10 or 12 people get in touch from that saying, because I'd said on this post, you know, a lot of people don't know what to say and that's okay, but just don't not say anything. Yeah. And a lot of people got in touch and said, I didn't know what to say and I didn't want to yeah. say the wrong thing. And I was like, yeah. just say, say that, <laughs> say that, just say, yeah. I don't know what to say. This is the worst thing anyone could ever experience. Yeah. And I don't know what to say, but you know, I'm sending you some love. Even Something, if you don't want to yeah. say I'm here for you because you're just like, yeah. I can't deal with that. Just say, I'm sending you some love. And that yeah. means more than and just nothing. doing a bunk. Yeah. Because, yeah. it, you know, what happens, and I, we, I think I talk about this like every now and then, just, you know, family related, you know, with us that, you know, we have two kids and I have family members that I think they probably said something when our son was born. He's almost three. Um, but no anything else after that, no wishes of happy birthdays, no checking in, no nothing, and close. Mm-hmm. But the more you don't say something, and I'm relating this to a kid, but stick in anything else you want, the more you don't say something, then it becomes more and more awkward. Mm-hmm. And then years down the late down the road, you're like, you know, I haven't spoken to cousin such and such in, you know, ten yeah. years. And it was because of that moment right there that yeah. You know, you didn't at least say that you didn't know what to say or, yeah. you know, or whatever was making you uncomfortable that, yeah. you know, maybe you, maybe in this case, you know, you, you know, the person that didn't say something, they were trying to have kids too and they can't yeah. for whatever reason. And this happened so that shut them down, you know, yeah. you didn't at least take one step, like you said, just say, look, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm saying, but here's something yeah. to let you know that I am yeah. here. You yeah. Know? I yeah. think I think it's common in grief, um, sure. and it's the girl who I co-host um, our Strong Tea podcast with. We I met her. God, I can't even tell you when it was. It was like way back, 2014, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, I met her through a friend, and we haven't spoken all that time, but friends on social media. And she got in touch, and she was just like, "I, you know, I." I I can't even imagine, um, but I'm here if you want to talk. And she'd lost her mum quite recently. And we ended up having a conversation after not speaking to each other for all those years. And now we're like besties. And, you know, we have this podcast together where we talk about our grief. We talk about loss and, you know, amongst many, many other things. And it has, it's surprising. It's surprising when you talk to people about experiences of grief, how many people say, you know, I really expected more from that person or really surprised by that response. And also the things that people say, which are so unhelpful when you are experiencing grief, you know, you just, I I don't know. Some people I want to pick up and shake and think, what part of your brain made you think it was okay to say that? The uncomfortable part, you know, (laughs) the, the awkward part that was like, I don't know what else to do. Does this work? Oh, shoot. I can't take that back. You know, but yeah, you know, that's hard. 
you know, because how do you look at it as somebody that, you know, was looking for something to be said and this came out in just the wrong way and not judge them for that and set yeah. the clock back. But they're like, all right, well, now I'm not going to say another thing for another five years to anybody that loses, you know? Yeah. How do we, how do we make that narrative change in the sense of, you know, supporting people to understand how to say anything, you yeah. know, or at least start and be open to, to sharing and talking, right? Yeah, but I think it's having these conversations which are important. And it's yeah. like, you know, if you're saying something because you think you need to fill silence, just really <laughs> think about what you're going to say. You know, yeah. I had so many people, and funnily enough, we've just literally two hours before this podcast, <laughs> we've I've just finished recording a podcast with a girl who's had four subsequent mis- miscarriages mm. um, before she had her son. And she said, people would say to her, at least you know you can get pregnant. At least you can try again. And no. it's anything anything that starts with at least. No. Really think about what you're saying. And I oh. think it's opening up the conversation yeah. to sort of highlight to people because some people have never had a conversation with someone that's lost yeah. before in any sense. In any and don't, sense, right. Yeah. And don't know what to say. <laughs> I think I've meant I've, well, right? I'm sure they meant well, but goodness <laughs> gracious, you know, you, you hear that afterwards, you're like, or on the outside of it, go, go, oh, man. Read the room. Yeah. Yeah. Those were leaving your lips, and you were probably watching that going, this is not going to hit their ears well at all. Yeah. Oh, I, th- I can't take that back. I think the worst thing was someone Ooh. said to me probably about eight, eight or nine weeks after Poppy had died, and they said, oh, think yourself lucky. I've got a daughter at the moment. She's, going through the terrible twos and she's a nightmare i'm like i think i'd rather have my child I think i'll take that yeah and you just think what is the matter with people <laughs> i mean i do the i do the reverse of that all the time i mean i i, I don't we, we don't like to call them terrible anything they're they're confusing twos because um, <laughs> they're trying to figure out their world of emotions and you have to remember that but i do the opposite all the time i hear a story it was a story yesterday on some three three-year-old Somehow, I didn't even go into details because I didn't want to know the details. Got lost in the woods for like hours. Oh my god! And the parents—I don't know how they stumbled across him, like found him. But anyway, that's all I caught was like a three-year-old that he was found, like thought to be missing, was just wandering around the woods for four hours. And I'm like, oh goodness, I'll take my son sticking a spoon in his nose any day over almost losing my child. Like, yeah. How do you, how do you not reverse that and say something like that to you? That well. Yeah. Be, lu- yeah. be lucky you're not. No. Yeah, no, no. There's no lucky about it. There's no lucky um, about that. And, and people might listen to me now and think I sound really, uh, I don't know, flippant about the whole experience. Um, I think you have to, You well, you, you don't have to, but I have owned my experience to yeah. the point where I feel so incredibly strongly about trying to help other people because this is such a dark place. And I'm extremely lucky because I've gone Mm. on to have a little boy and he is amazing. Um, His name is Freddie. And the, but the pregnancy was, even though I had the perfect pregnancy with Poppy, it was the most tormented nine months of my life you know, in terms of, oh my God, is he going to be okay? Oh my God, is yeah. it, you know, and sure. it, it was just so anxiety ridden. And you talked about postnatal depression, et cetera, et cetera. It wasn't until after I had Freddie that that's when things like 
the postnatal depression. You guys call it postpartum depression. Um, and things like PTSD that that occurred that well sort of occurred it reared its ugly head probably about two or three months before the birth and I opted for elective c-section this time to prevent any panic or any you know it was all planned it was all calm um but yeah it it has thrown some real interesting emotions in the mix where you sort of like I don't know how I don't know how to parent without total fear that I'm going to lose sure. the the child that I love more than anything in the world. Yeah. And I don't think that ever, to some degree, goes away. You know, I mean, wife and I talk about it all the time. Like, you you know, you can't, you can't, there's things that you just can't have a tangible answer to as a parent. And we try, and, you know, you write all sorts of books and blogs and articles and anything. And I think the best advice that I've ever swallowed um entirely is is the fact that somebody just flat out said like this 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 sucks like this is not easy you're going to be in survival Mm. mode for a good couple years Mm. and you're going to make mistakes but nobody wants to say that either you know and you kind of just brush all of it under the rug and just go okay we'll buy this do this try that say this you know and it'll work don't worry no it's not you know it might for a second and then tomorrow will be a whole other story and you're Left yeah, looking for another, but you know, it, it doesn't. It's ter- it's terrifying, and it you is. think I've you experienced loss. I can't bear to experience it again, and so it adds another layer to the onion of parenting, yeah. which is already incredibly complex. And yeah. at that, the postnatal depression is something which, again, is an incredibly dark place because you almost feel embarrassed. Yeah. And you just think this is something which is so incredibly normal for a lot yeah. of women. It's horrendous, Absolutely. but it is normal because a lot of people experience it. And yeah. again, it's hidden away. Yeah. Like like child loss, it's not really talked about that much. And you just think there's just not enough out there to support yeah. women going through it. Yeah. Well, that's why I said, you know, I appreciate like hearing, hearing this story, you know, mm-hmm. and, and allowing people to... They heard as well. Yeah. Mm. What's Your Story is produced by me, JD, with background piano music by Chad Lawson. These beautiful, inspiring, wonderful stories, they're all yours, listener. So if you've got a story you want to share, you can do so by heading to fragilemoments.org slash tellyourstory. If there's something that rang a bell with you today or something that truly touched your heart in today's episode, let me know by sending me an email at jd.jedi at fragilemoments.org. Or you can just tag the show at at StorySharingPod on Twitter as well as Instagram. Thanks once again for choosing to listen, and I look forward to hearing your story one day, because we all have within us a story to tell, a song, yet unsung.